Hello, everybody. Welcome to the Node Extractions Podcast. Now, I've got a particular topic that I'm pretty passionate about. I've got some opinions on, if I may say, and I'd like to share them with y'all. Because that's what this is for, I guess. Um, So, yeah, uh, I'm going to get started right after this little intro. Welcome to the Node Extractions Podcast. Okay, so this podcast is purely dedicated towards uh, a certain subject that I'm particularly passionate about, and it may not be the most positive passionate, but um, it's something that I've uh, had in the back of my mind for quite a long time, um, ever since you know my love for music has grown exponentially over the years. Now, the topic I'm talking about is posthumous albums. I, it really, um, I'll talk about a lot of that, but I have a list up here of uh, posthumous albums from the 2010s. Now, there are some albums on here that uh, did it right. Um, There's some albums that did not do so hot. And then there are some who did so horribly that... Like, I'll get into the whole, like, music business portion of it and probably the main reason why it was released. But um, here's how we're going to do this. So I'm going to be talking about an album each, and I'm going to give my review of it. Um, There won't be a scale or nothing. I just want to talk about the overall impact of the album, whether it was uh, label released or, you know, the artist had a lot of involvement in it. It just depends on the album. Um, so why don't we get started? Probably one of the biggest albums that came out posthumously was from the famed Michael Jackson called Escape. Now, this came out... When did this come out? This this came out May 9th, 2014. And um, it says here that all of these songs were recorded from 1980 to 1999, which are the original songs portion. This is, I think, a double LP um, of original songs when they were first mixed and mastered. And then after he died, this was stuff that it was in his vault that was eventually reworked in 2013 to 2014. Now, this, you know, if you really want, I mean, this is a posthumous album. Obviously, this is a double LP uh, released on behalf of him and his family and his estate, the label. Um, but I really think if I were to give my review on this album, I think it was done well. Now, um, I think it's a great perspective. Escape, I think is an album, a double LP that showcases what Michael Jackson possibly would have sounded like modern time, because we all know what he sounded like back the, from the 70s to the 80s, from his Jackson 5 era to him being Michael Jackson um, throughout his most popular tracks. 
and that sort of sound attached to him. Um, but then reworked into a more modern sound because this double LP starts out. I like the first half is all of the original songs. It starts out with all the originals from, I mean, like I said, recorded 1980 through 1999. These were all archive songs that he never released. But then the other half is those same songs with the vocals, right? Um, it depends on which song you're talking about. Some of them may involve similar elements, uh, instrument wise from the original recordings. Um, but all of them have the same vocals recorded, um, and whether or not some ad libs are used, uh, it really depends on the song, but they were reworked into newer tracks produced by a different producer, um, reworked by a different engineer. And I can't lie. I think, I think this album did pretty good. It got a nomination for the Billboard Music Award for Top R&B Album. And I think it probably was deserved. Um, you know, obviously disregarding any controversy that Michael Jackson may have, I think this album deserved um, a lot more respect than it did. Because it really does showcase, you know, what he really would have sounded like today as compared to his original recordings. And they did a good job at it. Uh, whoever produced and makes and mastered the second half of the album. And I think it was a almost like a lasting dump. Like it was a dump of archive songs that were just never released and that should be out to the public. And I'm sure Michael had a huge um, part in wanting to drop this sort of thing, even though, you know, he had died, you know, when this, this, this album was uh, dropped five years after he had died. Uh, Cause he died in 2009. This was released in 2014. But I think he had a huge involvement in it, especially because it only used songs from way back in the day. And um, I think it did pretty well. Um, but the next album I want to talk about is Bad Vibes Forever by X. Now, uh, Anthony Fantano on YouTube had a very, very nice point that I completely agree with. Now, I love X. If you know me, you know I love and respect X. Um as an artist, he is an absolute legend. I think the attention he got was very deserved. Um, and his death was very unfair, very sad. No one expected it. And rest in peace kind of thing, you know. But the album Bad Vibes Forever released in 2019 was probably probably one of the worst records of 19, 2019 that I heard. Um. Yeah, the quality of it was really good. But there were so many unnecessary features. The beats probably weren't picked out by him. Um, and keep in mind, the Skins album came out before this too. Both of these albums were posthumous. I doubt he had very much involvement in the production of this album compared to his previous releases where he had almost full control of it. Um, I think this album was a cash grab. I don't think there's any sort of value to this album. I don't think I got anything out of it other than, wow, okay, the label sure picked out some mid features. Like, PNB Rock, really? Why would you... Why? <laughs> PNB Rock, of all people, featured on the title track Bad Vibes Forever... 
did a garbage job at being a feature for X, if that makes sense. Golly, dude. It really, it's really, it's really disappointing seeing this. Like, it even says on Wikipedia, it is his second posthumous solo album following the death on June 18th, 2018. Now, releasing two albums back-to-back within a year, like, or really, it's, it's within a year and a half, a year and a half of him dying, that seems a bit sus. Usually, one album would do the trick, but two of them, I don't know how I feel about that. See, Skins, I feel, had more of a aesthetic to it. I feel like Skins had more of a plan, had more of uh, his involvement in all of his features that were on there, including Kanye, I think made sense with his image, right? It was preserving him. But this one didn't do that. There was no there was no uh help done for his legacy. I feel like he definitely could have done better. Not he, I'm sorry, his estate. His estate could have done better. Um like I've got to be honest with this part. The fact that his mother had a lot of uh Involvement in this was very sus to me. I don't appreciate the fact that his mother had a lot of control as a as producer, um, and as just an overall curator of the album. That's not fair, um, because it's not according to his artistry. It's not very fair. Uh, I think the next one that I probably talk about is uh, Lil Peeps Come Over When You're Sober Part Two. Um, I never really, I didn't really personally like Lil Peep. His sound was very unique, but it just wasn't necessarily my, uh, my style of, you know, free listening, you know? Um, but this album, I think just was okay. It was an okay album for me, but my one problem with it, and also this goes back to X, I think the most deplorable part of this album was the fact that uh, the song that features I Love McConan. I Love McConan, I love, uh, even though he fell off. Um, I think it's absolutely phenomenal that Lil Peep had a collaboration with him. They were going to release it on this album. But instead of just having that version out, the label decided without consent to also include X on a rework of the same song that was supposed to be Lil Peep and Lila McConan. It was turned into a cash grab, a leading single to this album because X had recorded a verse for him uh, and I highly doubt that um, Lil Peep was around to ask for that or to really communicate with him. Until I see proof of that, I will always feel um, the need to criticize his label for making a huge cash grab. Sure, it was a good song. Sure. You can tell me that and I'll believe you. Because I kind of liked it, but it was disgraceful that the label wanted to go for a cash grab. And put two dead artists together on one dead artist's track that wasn't even supposed to be originally there in the first place. It was just supposed to be Lil Peep and I Love McConan on that song. 
That's the most deplorable part about that. And I love X. Like I said before, I love X. His feature made that song really good. I think it was, a you know, they put it together pretty well. But the fact that they wanted to do that in the first place was very deplorable. It was not cool. It was just, it was a cash grab. And when you do cash grabs in the music industry, there's no heart behind it. Now, that brings me to the next album. (laughs) And, you know, I don't mean to laugh, but this album is very laughable, extremely deplorable, and possibly one of the worst albums I've ever heard. And it's Legends Never Die by Juice World. Now, don't get the wrong idea. I love Juice World. I think Juice World, uh, his melodies are infectious, very impressive. There's always something to love about him. Um, I respect him. Like I treat him with the up, utmost utmost respect. Um, and golly, like his projects, um, ever since he broke out, have been phenomenal. Even though they were they were sleepers for me, but they turned out to be very phenomenal. They grew on me really quick. But this album is a disgrace. This album is absolutely god awful. Now. That is not Juice World's fault. Juice, Juice World had no fault, in my opinion, being that way. Juice World's vocals were, um, if they were mixed right, keep in mind, if they were mixed right, um, they would have sounded angelic. Very, very nice. Very, very nice. Because I think his vocals were, I mean, they've always been really good. But when you take an artist who does phenomenal work, Lyrically, um, creating this aura or essence around the melody with with his lyrics, and then you put that on such mid beats, talentless beats, and just like there's there's no personality in the beats, and then you also add collaborators who don't even matter. You make a dumpster fire of an album. Seriously, I cannot tell you how bad this album was to me. Now already, um, I want to say that Marshmallow, I don't like Marshmallow. Marshmallow is the new Chainsmokers. Chainsmokers are such a terrible EDM duo. Marshmallow, ever since buying out, selling out, sorry, selling out and um, becoming mainstream, and trying to reach the widest audience possible, negating creativity and negating the heart behind the genre, just like the Chainsmokers when they broke out with hashtag selfie and then started coming out with these three-note melody tracks. Um, Marshmallow's production was god-awful. I, I don't like him. He's one of the worst producers. I mean, I'm sure he's... I mean, I know he's very talented. I was on him when he uh, when he came out with that track alone and all the remixes surrounding it. That was fire. I think he was amazing back then. He actually had a bunch of creativity, but then he sold out for money and fame and mainstream attraction and became the most boring producer out here. And now you put him on the production for two tracks of a Juice World album... You've got to be kidding me, dude. 
it's not even fair at this point. Like there have been electronic producers producing for, um, rappers and it's fine. Like I see nothing wrong with it. Um, Getter, for instance, Getter, a dubstep artist has produced for a couple rappers like Puya. Puya and Ghostmane, he's done collaborative projects. I think those were actually really cool fit the vibe um the production the production quality was already really good but why would you place such a mainstream garbage producer on an album that's posthumous and you act like you're trying to preserve the legacy of juice world but really it's because you're cashing in just for a check are you kidding me you put juice world what could have been angelic vocals if it had been mixed right according to his previous projects and you put it on mid beats like this such mid talentless most personality devoid beats and then you call it an album that thing was so thrown together i can't even describe it to you guys how how thrown together it was it was so bad it was just rushed it was rushed, thrown together, a cash grab after he had died so they can they can get money from all the fans who are so shocked by him dying. It's really not fair. It's not fair, but that's how the music industry works. It's all about money, isn't it? Once, you know, once your artistic value rises like a stock, you know, like buying it as stocks, once your value rises, everybody's going to want you. Now it's up to you to decide if you want to do something for yourself or if you want to appease the widest audience possible. Once you do that, in the right people's minds and eyes, you're a sellout. And that's what labels do. Labels do that to very popular, uh, you know, deceased rappers and deceased artists. It's You've seen it happen ever since the 80s. It's been happening. And Legends Never Die is one of the most, like, one of the best examples of that. Legends Never Die is a god-awful album. And that's all I have to say about it. Now, on the absolute contrary, the next album that I want to talk about is Circles by Mac Miller. Mac Miller um, has grown on me recently, overall, as an artist. You know, I didn't really know him too much. I only listened to maybe his watching movies with the sound off album a couple of times back when I was, you know, younger and I didn't really know um I didn't really have such an open mind to this sort of music or really just how wide of an industry the music industry is. But Mac Miller has grown on me so much recently. I own a copy of the Circles vinyl. That's how much I really like this album now. This was the right way to do an a posthumous album. The reason why I say this, I think the main reason is that he had so much involvement in this and the fact that this was supposed to be the closing sequel to the Swimming in Circles duo, double LP, if you really want to call it. It could be considered a box set, double LP. But... um. He was working with a main producer and an engineer. Um, 
and after he had passed working on this album, he had already recorded all the vocals for it and was still working side by side with this producer engineer. Um, and the, after he had passed the producer slash engineer or whatever, um, wanted to preserve the legacy, wanted to finish these off on a strong note and get the project out. And it was definitely not a cash grab. It was the, it was supposed to go full circle. And that's not even a play on words. That's like, it's not supposed to be a pun. That's supposed to, that's what was supposed to happen. And I'm very glad that this album was released. It sure as heck kept his legacy the way it was supposed to be kept. They did a great job at that. This was the exact opposite of Legends Never Die. The fact that this album was released shows that maybe there is a little bit of hope in posthumous albums in the music industry. This was done so well. And now, I mean, there's not really much else I can say about this album other than that. It was just a job well done. Good job. Very, very good job. It was well deserving of the success that was brought to it. And I mean, if it says anything, I own I own a vinyl of it because I love it that much. Now, the next album is kind of in between. Not going to lie. I think it's kind of a, a, a gray area for me. Now, that album is Skins by X. You know, I talked about it earlier. But the album Skins, my first listen, I thought it was garbage. I really did think about, I really thought it was uh, garbage because I go into posthumous albums thinking um, this is definitely a cash grab type thing. But after listening to it a couple of times, it seems as if not only did it grow on me, I think I think I realized that this album had a lot more to do with X's involvement than I thought, at least compared to Bad, Bad Vibes Forever. This album had a lot more to do with X's yearning to be more experimental, um, to test different sounds, um, and to just capture a different aesthetic than what he normally did. Um, it was in stark contrast to the 17 album and to the question mark album. Um, I think skins, um, pulled off a different aesthetic and I think it, I think it worked. It was like a soft edginess sort of aesthetic. Um, and again, in comparison to bad vibes forever, I think this is a more well put together, more well mix and mastered, um, not as feature heavy, even though this isn't necessarily a huge album. It's a very short album, but the features that were on there fit perfectly. And, um, I just think overall is a decent project. So as a posthumous album, I think it lies in a gray area. I didn't think it was personally that good. Like it's nothing I would listen to in my regular time, but it's a very respectable album regardless because it was, it may have been a cash grab, maybe, but we don't know for sure. But I do think X had a lot of involvement in it, and it sounds a lot more like him. So I respect the album. Next on this sort of list, I guess, um, is Pop Smoke's Shoot for the Stars, Aim for the Moon album. Now, I got to know Pop Smoke a little more um, and became kind of a fan, uh, like we only weeks before he passed away, which sucks. I wish I could have, you know, been there for more, 
um, as a fan would want to be because I really liked how he incorporated the UK drill sound into more of an American style. He pulled it off very well, and I think he developed a really nice uh, sound for himself. Uh, but I think this album was respectable. You know, I it's, again, it's not my personal favorite. Um, I don't really normally listen to that sort of music, that type of beat style, you know what I mean? But um, I know his involvement in this album was a lot. This was no label move. This was his move that he planned for for a long time, ever since he blew up. Um, so in my book, I guess it's pretty respectable. Although it's just not like my favorite. I listened through it once and I was just, you know, like, okay, this is Pop Smoke. This is definitely Pop Smoke. This isn't a label doing that. This is Pop Smoke in his direction. So even though this is it's pretty short of a review, it's because, you know, I, I, it hasn't grown on me. I don't really have much to say about it. So what what is there to say um, if I don't really you know, have too much of an, of an opinion on it. All I know is that he had a lot of involvement in it. So I'm happy that it did get released. And another album that I actually really do like, this album was, I think it was really good. Um, and this backstory behind it is really sad. Um, and it's Jay Dilla's The Shining. Jay Dilla, um, if you don't know, he is considered to be the father of lo-fi hip-hop. And one of the greatest producers in hip-hop history. One of the greatest um, samplers. He's a sampling king. Kind of like Kanye. But is in his own way. Um, this album is... Uh, if you are into lo-fi hip-hop, I think you might enjoy this. For the instrumentals, I think. Um... If you look into the backstory for this album, it's quite sad and depressing because apparently um, Jay Dilla had been in the hospital for months and months as his health was declining. And apparently it was due to lupus. Uh, and it's, it's very sad. Um, he died in 2006. So obviously I was way too young to even know who he was. I was way, like too far away from knowing I was only six or seven. Actually, I was six when he had passed. Um, but this album, uh, what I was told um, and what I've read is that he worked on this album the entire time he was in the hospital. This album came from solely him working on his laptop in the hospital. Uh, him and his laptop as well as his, uh, his beat pad, his equipment, like whatever portable equipment he had. Um, this man is one of the kings of sampling. Um, and he just, he's done so well with a lot of his other projects that this one was kind of like a last hurrah for his, uh, for his career. And the features that went on this were actually really cool. Um, I think they fit his vibe so, so well because he, he's, he previously collaborated, collaborated with every single one of these guys. And this uh, this album is like just very respectable. I think it deserves more credit. Um, 
And even one of my favorite songs, you know, one of my favorite beats ever made by anybody is So Far To Go from this album. So I, did, I think this album deserves a lot more respect. Another issue I want to really speak on is uh, posthumous leaks. Now, that may sound weird, but it's a real problem in the music industry where after an artist uh, passes away, there have, there have been plenty of cases where uh, their music is leaked and sold online. Not released like it's it's been put on Reddit and other weird sites or whatever and being sold for thousands of dollars for the I mean even if it's like very low quality people still want it. Now that is pretty unfair. There are two specific cases that I uh, that come to mind in my personal experience coming across these sort of people that are attached to these leaks and um, just people who bought from them continue to sell something like that. Uh, and there's two artists in particular, um, Avicii, Avicii. If you don't know who Avicii is, he's one of the staple EDM producers, EDM artists of the 2010s, um, popularized using uh, EDM style uh, beats and since for pop music and I was a huge fan of him and so when it came to this issue I was extremely offended because it's just not fair to the artist it's tarnishing his legacy I had an old friend uh way back when uh even went to my high school who uh I had him on snap um and he was a big fan of Avicii but a little too much to where he was on Reddit a lot and um, like in official Avicii subreddits, stuff like that. But I don't know how he got it, but he had like a few different folders on his desktop where he had gotten um, masters that were released, not even released, they were leaked. He boasted that he had leaks uh, after he had passed and like um, IDs where it's like these uh, not yet titled tracks, as well as like, you know, there's some people who um, collaborated with him, but they eventually got leaked after he passed as well. Like collaborations or features, stuff like that. But uh, he had them. He had some in folders and would post about uh, new leaks and stuff that he'd have on his Snap story. And I've slid up multiple times. I mean, I've since I've, I've blocked him and I've, whatever because he's just not really a, a person i'd mess with but um he had boasted a lot and i slip on a story telling him that this is so wrong why would you why would you do this if the artist passes i think their music um and obviously there's a there's it's not black or white it's it's a gray area it's a it's a spectrum of circumstances depending on the artist who passes. But um, in Avicii's case, yeah, no, um, that wasn't fair. Although he had major involvement in that music, the leaks that come out, like, that's so wrong. Leaking an artist's music in the first place isn't fair. I mean, just like Playboy Cardi. If you've seen Playboy Cardi, um, even though, I mean, he's obviously alive and well, he's putting out bangers. But pretty much 
the entire whole lot of red album before it came out was leaked all the original songs and so that made him basically create a whole new album now how would you feel if you were the artist and you had put in a lot of work in order to um make money and you know please your fans but then someone in your team or someone that you worked with um or even some sort of hack um steals your content and then releases it to the public for money and sells it on their own for them to make them like for them to make money. Um, it's not very fair, man. I, I don't, I don't get that. It's just not fair to the artist. And it's, I mean, it's not even fair to the record label, um, the entire team surrounding the artist. And especially it's especially disgraceful when the artist has passed and you have these records at least give them the, the respect for them to release the songs. So at least some of the money goes to their estate and their family rather than you cashing a check on someone else's creation who's passed. It's just not fair, man. And uh, the second one I'm talking about is um, an influencer I used to follow. Um, he, uh, I mean, I don't know him personally, but I was subscribed to him on Snap and on, and I followed his meme pages and such on, uh, on Instagram. And, uh, yeah, he would, I don't know how, again, I don't know how this stuff works because I'm not one of those people that does this sort of thing, but he had a bunch of juice world leaks after he had passed these, um, tracks that got leaked to certain people. I, I don't know what he does, but, um, he had, he would boast sometimes on his snap, this gigantic playlist he had on his iTunes, like on his phone music app or whatever, um, a huge like playlist of, uh, not even playlist. It's like an album that he, you know, synced his phone from his computer type thing, um, of just unreleased juice world tracks after he had died stuff that wasn't released and he was just banging it in his car all the time. And I know, I mean, if you have it like that already, it's not very respectful to the artist because you're not meant to hear that yet. But, you know, the tipping point started when he advertised he was selling tracks for different deals. That's, that's just messed up, man. Like, wow. For you to make money, does it really require you to desecrate the legacy of a, an artist who's passed, you know, you don't have to love an artist whenever they pass. You don't have to, um, an artist doesn't deserve respect after they die kind of thing. You don't have to respect their art, but you do have to respect the humanity of someone passing. It's not fair. Whatever they've created should be left alone unless it's being officially released. Even if, from all the albums that I talked about earlier, even if the album's garbage, even if it's thrown together, at least it was put together and put out by people he was, the artist was associated with. That's fair to me. That's very fair. Because that music, uh, depending on the label deal, probably all the masters and all the recordings are owned by his estate, his or her estate. Um, and are in the hands of people that the artist was involved with. 
Now, when it gets leaked like that and sold for profit, that's when it's, I mean, that's, that should be straight illegal. That's not fair. Um, I mean, there's not really much else to say on that because it's just, it's just not fair. And if you do partake in this sort of stuff, um, buying leaks and selling them, uh, alive or, or dead, uh, that's just a disgrace to me. That's not cool. This episode will be cut short uh, because I've had a long week of working on beats and mixing, mastering, stuff like that. Um, so this isn't exactly rushed or nothing, but this is definitely a shorter episode. I will be, however, getting more interviews done this week and uh, putting them out in consecutive uh, releases over the next couple Fridays, uh, coming up with my own content. So sorry for this is uh, a little rushed. Um, I've been very busy this week. But we will be getting more episodes out as soon as I uh, get more artist interviews recorded this week. So, yeah, uh, thank you guys once again for listening to the Nodix Jackson's podcast with me. Thank you for being there. And I'll see y'all next week.